Hello and welcome to another episode of The Naked Voice, the regular podcast of Naked Health and our wider network, of course, We Are The Health Tribe. This episode continues with our regular feature now of charting our tribe members' journey to Naked Health. And this week, we feature one of our founding partners, Max Jackson. Hey, Max. Hey, Lee. How are you? You dialing in from sunny, sunny Black Sea? I am indeed. It is quite sunny here today and uh, cold, but um, but very nice, I have to say. Summer may finally have arrived. Great. So, um, well, I guess you're, you know, digital nomad um, before that became a hip and cool thing. So why don't we start by talking about your pretty nomadic lifestyle over the last 10 years or so? You know, we could could start with um, I, I was in the UK um for a while um didn't really enjoy london if i'm really honest with you and then i uh, i moved uh, an unexpected move moved to uh, moscow in russia and was there for 10 years um met the uh, woman of my dreams and married her and had children and then of course uh, with all the geopolitical problems and and nastiness going on we had to leave uh, in, a, in a rush, and so we we moved to Bulgaria, where we already had a house, and um, and we've been sitting here. And now, the future is, I think, we'll probably move again, probably to sunny Spain to uh, to start again. So yeah, very nomadic, but um, you know, I think it's 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 the way things go these days. It sounds exciting, but um, well, let's go back a lot, lot, lot longer now, decades and decades. So you're um, you're a Kiwi, um, so yep. tell us about. Growing up in, in in the North Island of, of New Zealand and um, you know, those formative years, did you have a desire to end up in this business? Or I know you studied marine biology, but what did you want to do when you were growing up there? Yeah, so we we travelled a lot when I was a kid, but yes, did most of the sort of important growing up years, the sort of um, secondary school and, and university years in in in, in New Zealand in, in sunny Auckland, and uh, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. I, I wanted to be an airline pilot and then I didn't, but I, I knew I wanted to go to university because it looked like fun. And it looked, I went, I went to a single sex school and it looked like there were girls there. So that would be quite good and beer. So um, I was quite good at science. So I thought, well, I, I, I could just do a, a Bachelor of Science. In those days, you, you, you didn't even have to register. Literally, I, I rocked up on the day of enrollment, wandered into the science faculty, um, saw a couple of courses I liked, enrolled in those, and uh, and that was it. And then I I stayed on. I liked it a lot. Stayed on, did a, did a BSc in um, in general zoology, and then a masters in, in in marine biology, and more particularly actually in uh, physiology of fish, which meant that I could dive every day and uh, and spend a lot of time on the sea, which is what I really wanted. And then I kind of got to the end of the uh, of the research. It was two year degree. The end of the research phase of that of that thought, what am I going to do now? And the people in the year um, before me uh, were still unemployed. It was, it was a downturn in the economy. No one could get jobs. So I thought, well, I like the sea and I like diving. So what about the Navy? So I went along, applied and joined the Navy and had uh, five and a half, almost six very happy years in the Navy um, doing various things. Uh, last role was as a navigating officer. And then I thought, well, I can stay in the Navy all my life, or maybe I can do something even more different. So I went sailing for a couple of years, went to the Mediterranean. I got a job as a, as a professional skipper on the bareboat charters and, and flotillas, and did that for a couple of years in Turkey, Greece, and um, some of the other Mediterranean seas. Um, 
but you know you can't do that forever yeah you can't do that forever so i was going back to new zealand and um i didn't quite make it i met i met a, I met a young lady in london decided to stay there a bit and um yeah so that's when i when i had to decide what i was going to do next mm. So going back to the Navy then, because that's kind of an interesting move from studying, you know, sort of junior MS, the Masters in Marine Biology. And then um, in some ways, it's a logical jump, but it's also quite a big jump going into the forces, I get, in terms of the Navy. Did, I mean, did you see any conflict or what, what was that like? And how did it prepare you for the commercial world? Yeah, it's a good question. It was one of those very, very, very unusual periods of time where, at least for New Zealand, there were no conflicts. So the Falklands, had, the Falklands had just ended, and there was nothing really on the horizon. So for the entire, and then you know when I left, just after I left, of course there was the um, the revolution in Fiji, and then there was the East Timor crisis, all of which um, the the New Zealand Defence Forces got involved in. So literally, apart from a couple of freedom of navigation exercises um, where we would you know go through international straits and and irritate people, usually the Indonesians. Um, I didn't really see any comp. So the, the 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 biggest danger I had was uh, was probably uh, tripping over at a cocktail party. I think is probably probably the the, the most I, I was in in danger. So it was a it was a bit of a golden time. And what it did do though, and I think the Navy is really good at this. And I, I, I said I really enjoyed it. It does set you up for life in terms of self discipline. It sets you up for life because you the training is quite intensive and it pushes you. To a degree that you you didn't think you could get to, so you're more tired, more physically exhausted, more mentally exhausted than you possibly can imagine. And then you realise that actually, when you think you're completely done, when you're completely finished, you're probably only halfway spent, and that you've got another half left. And once you understand that, once you push yourself to that limit, that becomes a really, really, really useful thing in life. Because when you when you want to give up you know that there's so much more gas in the tank. And I think that that and the organisational skills, I think, are two big things that, that the Navy uh, sure. certainly gave to me. So we, we'll come on a bit later in terms of your managing big, big teams and agencies in, in your CEO role. We'll come on to that. But I think in terms of the Navy, though, sticking with that for now, how, did, did that give you a good training for, for getting on and because you know we all know you as um or met you as, as the CEO of, of uh, Sedler and um WPP XUS. so you know very good on your feet very confident with people is that the sort of skills that you were born with or, or was that the navy or a bit of both I think it's a combination of both I think you know I, I was fortunate that my parents were both uh, thespians and both in the theatre or television and so I got that naturally outgoing style, ability to perform in front of a large group, I think, by genetics rather than anything else. But certainly in the Navy, I was lucky enough to be an officer. And you do get very, very good training in terms of, of leadership and leadership styles. And you also, you know, and, and it comes quite early. So very early in your naval career, you start having to lead men and, and women. And you, uh, you tend to... Um, make a lot of mistakes. And I think that's a really good thing. So I made a huge number of mistakes in, in my leadership style, doing the wrong things, getting it wrong. But by doing that, you learn, I think by the time I'd left the Navy, I'd made quite a lot of the mistakes and learned a lot more about leadership and, and how you can successfully lead people than most people learn until quite quite a lot later in their career. And that, I think, really was um, something that, 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 that helped me. 
Okay. So let's get back on, on your journey then, back on track in the journey. So you yep. you left New Zealand, um, your love struck in London, you know, it happens to us all. Yeah. Um, what did you do then for, from a career point of view? Yes, I was, I was in London. I had £36 to my name in the world. No job. Um, <laughs> had only really, um, apart from a degree, had only really done the Navy and, and done, done some professional sailing. And I didn't want to go back. I, I nearly went back into the Navy, I'll be honest, but then I decided not to go back. And I saw this advertisement for um, sales reps, pharmaceutical sales reps. And I thought, Ooh, they give you a car. They seem to give you quite a lot of money. All they need is a science degree and the ability to go out and, and sell. I've, you know, I, I worked in a shop, but I've never done that sort of selling. I thought, you know, why not? So I applied and was lucky enough to get a job with uh, what was then Kirby Warwick, which uh, shortly after changed its name to Shearing Plow and uh, became a, a, a medical sales rep, initially uh, repping GPs and then um, qu quickly and swiftly moving into hospital repping. Um, and what I discovered from that is that is probably the hardest job in the world. And I take my hat off to the people that do that day in and day out, because in pure mental fatigue and in terms of pure self-esteem, it is probably the, the toughest job I know of constant rejection, constantly working. So you, you pick extroverted people and then they work on their own for, for most of the day without any, any particularly friendly human contact. It's a, it's a tough old role. And then I and then I kind of moved into secondment and marketing, and that was great. And that is where I discovered that there were these things called advertising agencies, which I never knew, I never knew there were these uh, these agencies that that that, that helped the, these companies develop their materials. And fortunately, I got introduced to one, and they liked the fact that I I had um, it was a healthcare agency called um, Advertising and Design Associates (ADA) now no longer existing or used to be an independent uh, then then was bought as part of the um, the medicus group and got a job as an account manager and that's kind of where my glorious advertising career started was that before the days of tv or <laughs> it wasn't before the days of tv it was before <laughs> the days of of computers or, or, or general use of computers so when i joined we had one computer in the entire agency, which was owned by a particularly fierce dragon lady who was the copy typist. And she would type up all the copy and then everything would then be sent to the typesetters and laid out a lick and stick on, on big cardboard sheets, marked up for color by hand and sent off to be scanned and drum scanned for offset lithography. Um, and it, that went on for a very long time. So we had no email. We had nothing like that. We did have a, a, a mobile phone in the car. I felt, felt like James Bond with a mobile phone in the car with a sort of curly cord attached to the thing. You couldn't take it out, but but it was. Mm. I felt great about that. Um, and um, then slowly but surely, in fact, I was instrumental in uh, in getting the first uh, desktops on on people's desks. That we'd heard of this thing called email. Felt we should probably have a part of it. And slowly you know it would kind of move from there but it, it, it really was there were for two years three years none of us used a computer everything was done manual max what, what yeah. was what was office like life like back then you know before computers and stuff but that took main <laughs> you know with people like i got this image in my head of like lots of people just talking all the time radios on maybe someone smoking in the corner and all this kind of stuff what was it like yeah, all of that. So people smoking in, <laughs> smoking in their offices, smoking anywhere, 
everyone went to the pub at lunchtime. There's a pub next door to where ADA was in the Plough Breweries that was, was called the Plough. That's where everyone went for lunch, had two or three pints, came back absolutely off their faces and pretended they were going to do an afternoon's work. It was very different. It was a very different world. So we would we would go and visit our clients um, and, and they would literally uh, almost take the day off. So we, we'd take them to lunch, we'd go to drinks. It was a very, very different, slightly unprofessional world, to be honest. I mean, you're quite madmen in lots of ways. Um, and, you know, one of the ways to get promoted or one of the ways to get on well and get new business was if you could play golf. I can't play golf. So that I was a little disadvantaged. And it really did revolve around golf, drinking and lunching as to how you got the business. And I think, you know, to be brutally honest, as, as much fun as it was, I'm really pleased that things have moved on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, so um so you start you started your advertising career, Max, and in healthcare, obviously, um, as an account manager. And then you, you progressed for the sound of things pretty quickly up from there. So where did that take you? Yeah, I was really I was really very lucky, or or unlucky, and then lucky. So I I think all of us know that you usually have one or two clients that make or break your career. And I we had some a couple of very difficult clients. I'm not going to name names, and I got put on them, and it was quite a tough time, but. For some reason, and, and probably by sheer luck, I managed to a save the clients and to increase the business. And so very quickly, I, I had mo- a lot of the agency's business under under my uh, direction. So I got I got promoted very very quickly in a year to account director, and very very quickly after that to client service director. And then I'm spent a bit of time with the MedEd company. It was also part of the same group, and I quite like MedEd. So they had a they had a vacancy for. Um, a client services director, and, and I thought that that sounds great. So I moved across into into Meta, a company called FSP, and again, just fortunate, right time. Meded was starting to really take shape, and, and was getting the budgets that the advertising um, agencies weren't getting. It was it was growth and growth and growth. So I was very lucky to have a couple of really really big wins, and um, uh, the the managing director at the time left, and there was no one else that knew the business as much as I, and so I kind of got uh, got nominated to be the managing director so uh, there I was not expecting to have really progressed so quickly being the managing director of, of a fast-growing um, medical company a medical aid company and it, we we were 15 people when I took over um, and by the time I left it was 150 so we really managed to grow that company hugely and you know by nature of that growth then you know I was um, nominated to to take over a role looking after uh, the Medicus Group's uh, European offices so I did that, and then uh, you know it seemed to go pretty well, and there was a vacancy to also look after Asia Pacific. So I took over Asia Pacific, and eventually, you know, was was the um, was was the Medicus Group, or in fact, Publicist Healthcare Group, uh, president for everything XUS, uh, which was which was a great job, and I, I worked with some some super people, although. You know, working for uh, certain companies can be a bit of a challenge, I have to say, especially uh, the, those that might not speak English uh, as their first language and a and, uh, French. But um, yeah. it was it was certainly a very good experience and something that um, I enjoyed a lot. I, I work with some really, really super people there. Fantastic. Fantastic. And because uh, I think going to your core skill, you know, especially now in terms of what we do at, at, at Naked is being a strategist and, and a planner mm. strategist. So in those days, was that like, because I, I, I think mm. when I look back, I remember like account directors and, and 
and the roles you you did in early on as well that, that would be a natural part of the job and then they seem those sort of roles seem to get split out into a separate strategist role and then and then the account director became you know or their roles became less what, what was it like for you in, in terms of your role and, and where did strategy come into that yeah that's super correct so it, although some agencies did have planners it was very uncommon so yeah the the account director directed the account that meant directing the strategy and running things making sure workshops and everything else and I, I really enjoyed that part of the business to be honest so one of the things i did when i took a, a, a joined fsp was to start putting in place uh, branded strategic processes that we could sell to clients packaged if you like mm -hmm. and those are those are really 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 successful so at one stage for two of the biggest um, companies at the time we were doing the strategy for every single one of their pipeline and new projects and of course that was a very good for exposure a great learning and, and it was a super revenue stream and then yes yeah, somehow or other Someone had the bright idea that all strategy is a different thing. And so now, to be honest, I think this downskilled the account management side to a stage yeah. that literally the vast majority, I hate to say this, are, are glorified bag carriers, are glorified messenger people mm -hmm. who are just carrying stuff between the client and the agency, but possibly not adding the value that they used to add um, when this was a core skill. That's a good point. I, that's kind of what I was alluding to. I think I think the same. I feel sorry for people in that role a lot of the time, actually, because I'm sure that's not why they they come in the industry. But I was just thinking when you're talking as well of Dave Trott, you know, the very famous consumer mm. um, guru um, and, and an amazing speaker. Um, and he was you know, some of the stuff I've heard him say is some of the best people in our industry can do a bit of everything and I don't mean in a jack of all trades way but you know if if the strategist is off then then the writer or the creative or the end or, or whoever will get in and get you know mack in and do the strategy because none of it what let's face it what we do is real rocket science you know we've got place things in place to develop strategy and creative and so on what's your thought on that what, what do you think do you think the best people are people who can kind of cover lots of disciplines yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's the old cricket thing, isn't it? The all rounder is obviously the most most valuable player on on the um, on the field. The one that can bat a bit and bowl a bit and maybe keep wicket a bit. And and I think it's a, I think it's very much the same in our. I think if you if you can't do strategy, you think you can't do strategy. It's going to be very difficult to recognise if it's a good or bad strategy. So how can you give counsel? And it's the same thing with copywriting. If you can't at least do some kind of writing so you can't put things together in a way how are you going to you know how are you going to recognize that and i think that's really important especially if you're working in very comp complex areas you know as a i always felt that as a, as as a, as a leader of the team that everything that left my team was my responsibility so i'd read everything make sure it was right and i'm not the most detail focused person i'm not a proofreader but at least i could read whether it made sense fitted the brief and was on strategy and i think that that core skill is what separates the really really good people in industry from those that are, are, are unfortunately slightly one-dimensional um and i don't say i don't say that in in a pejorative way i don't think it's their fault i just think our industry doesn't develop people particularly well in that kind of all-round uh, all-round way yeah and i guess once you're in a big Kind of holding company network as well the, the swim lanes we talked about this on other podcasts are very very much defined and uh how dare you move across um, from your lane into drifting into somebody else's i guess which uh, can, can make quite a challenge but 
but, but but sticking with the big global kind of holding agency networks then so you 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 rose to the top at um at publicis and then um i'm going to bring in some of the the, the other naked uh, health guys on the call as well soon um you you were then ended up at uh, wpp sort of leading the the healthcare offering xus is that right yeah no i i i actually when I left Publicis, I, I wanted to do something very different. I kind of got a bit stale in the corporate work and I think a little bit stale in in, in the kind of more mundane network type of uh, promotion you do where there's a someone, someone's produced a, a, a core global campaign and you're, you're basically about implementing it. So I actually... Um, uh, went with the, uh, the the guy that founded um, uh, Doctors Net UK, and and we set up um, a sort of startup company looking to uh, globalize that idea, and um, we we we'd managed to find uh, a group of investors, and we were in a really good place, and of course then the uh, global financial crisis hit uh, of of two thousand and seven. And uh, instantly, investors who, who were from the Middle East ran ran for the hills, and were, the money dried up. And it was at that stage that uh, WPP then actually WPP had actually approached me um, before, and I said I, I don't want to do it because I'm, I, I want to give the startup gig a go. And of course, when the money disappeared, I felt oh well, I'll, I'll I'll see if these guys still need a hand. And fortunately for me, they did, and I, I moved into WPP uh, in, in the Sudler and Hennessy. As it was called then, network are doing the, pretty much the same role that I did um, with the publicist, looking after all of their agency assets. Um, XUS. Cool. And I, I bring in the other guys in a minute, but I think when I'm sort of just recount some of the some of the experiences we've all had of working with you is uh, when when I joined um, WPP, obviously you were CEO, um, and um, you know I, I was kind of I'd, I've worked with a lot of CEOs. Some have been pretty you know pretty good some have been pretty, pretty awful actually um as well and um, but you know you, you definitely fell into that former camp and, and um you know you had a really good way about you um and i think one particular thing i remember is is when we pitched in germany and i don't think i think i just joined the Sudler and i don't i'd met you at the interview stage and 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 all that sort of stuff obviously but we ended up you, me, and a few others doing a pitch in in Boringer, I think, in Germany, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and um, yeah. and because you and I hadn't really bonded properly, I don't think at that time we ended up having quite a few beers the night before the pitch, which is probably the first time I've ever done that actually, because I always made a rule: no beers before pitch, just just we'll do it after. Um, but but you and I, I think we'd we'd, we'd um, ended up in the bar, and uh, we had quite a late night, and then. And then um, I woke up. I think we planned to have a run through at about eight a.m. before the pitch downstairs, and I, eyed and thinking, oh my god, that was a lot of beers. I get down to the rehearsal room, and you're bouncing around as fresh as a daisy, um, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and then uh, not not just that, we get get into the pitch room. You get up and do your magic, and I hadn't seen you present, and I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> you had the room kind of. Uh, Eating out your hand and 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 hanging on to your every word and um and unfortunately for me I had to get up and present a creative after that and I was like oh my god and I was feeling like death warmed up um so so yeah thanks that was my, my <laughs> first memory of of working with you at um at Sudler which is probably a good time for me to bring in a few other people so Raj um, Max 
interviewed and hired you, et cetera, as well. So what, what was your um, decent or, or, or legal memories of, of, of um, you and Max having fun at Settler? Um, I didn't have much to do with Max other than a, uh, a kind of quick meeting because he had to, he was uh, um, in the office um luckily um and the uh the then md wanted me to meet max so it's quite it was quite an interesting meeting i think i mean we didn't talk i think i mentioned this before we haven't talked much about work really he just asked more about what um what motivated me how i deal with teams how i manage people have i manage people all that kind of stuff so i thought you know that was really kind of reassuring that it was um it was quite an interesting way of kind of hiring people that i hadn't encountered for yeah, quite liked him. It's all yeah. changed Ooh. now. And then, go on, go, go on, Max. Yeah, no, I, no, I think I think I just to comment on. I mean, I, I've always been more interested in the in in the soft skills of people. You know, I I think that you know the CV will tell you if people can do the job, and and you know references will do the other bit. But it's the will they fit into the team? What sort of person are they? You know, I think that's that's as important, and I think it's it's a it's a dimension that's often missing. I, I, I do despair when I, I some of my colleagues in, in previous roles saying, oh, we only hire people with PhDs who have got five years of this and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I was thinking, yeah, but then you probably miss out on it. I, I remember a couple of the hires that we made where people had no experience, but they were just keen and they wanted to do it. And they, they, they're now at the top of the profession. And the other ones are still kind of in the middle management zone. So I think that to me is the most important thing. You know, what are these people and, and, and can they develop? It's really, really important. Yeah, Russ, OK, so Russ, you've worked under a lot of... Um... CEOs, what's, what's your view? It's, it's, I mean, it's a critical role in any, particularly in a big agency. Yeah, and, sure. and um, you know, you've worked under a few CEOs. You you joined Sudler where Max is CEO. What, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think the difference is, it's like I think you you uh, alluded to it about this whole idea of sort of swim lanes as people that are very sort of myopic in what they do. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't need to be uh, an expert in in every aspect of the business, but I think you do need to have an understanding. And I think there were, I've worked with a lot of CEOs who had absolutely no concept of um, of the creative process or, or what it did, or or in some cases even what what the value um, value of the creative department was. But that was, of course with, was very different with Max. He had a very sort of a, innate sort of understanding of all of that, and he understood what we were doing, and that makes that makes a huge difference. So I've I've had sort of like both sort of uh, ends of the scale, if if you know what I mean. So people that do CEOs who do actually understand that and give a lot of value to it, and ones that really just have no sort of real concept of it, they've just kind of moved into that, having sort of trod a very sort of narrow path and not understanding what was going on either side of it so yeah that does make a huge difference i think mm, good point thanks Russ. and paul about you you've been number of big network agencies including wpp i don't know if you path pass cross so much with, with us guys in the sudder arm but you know the ceo role what, what's your thoughts it's a, it's a key role isn't it in, in terms of setting the tone of the company as well uh it is uh i, I was thinking about this before you came to me and i and, and we work in companies, right? And the, the word company is a company of people, isn't it? That, that, that's why it's called a company, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes um, people forget if they're the CEO, they are in charge of a company of people and they sell skills and services and you make money 
and that's good for the numbers. Uh, I think sometimes um, there's a disconnect between the CEO and the people who actually do some of the doing and help to make those numbers and that money. So to Russ's point, I think as a CEO, you need to understand and value what certain people do. If you can't do that, then what are you doing? And and surely as a CEO, it's your job, isn't it, to come through the ranks or to come in with a certain set of skills and have a vision and steer, you know, going back to the Navy, steer that ship into good waters and for, for, for the whole company. And I think sometimes, um, definitely in the teams that I've led and, you know, on a very much smaller scale, there was a feeling that the upper and senior management didn't really understand what they did and that then therefore that loses their, their motivation why they're working late if it's not valued or people don't seem to understand what they do and that can lead to an, a, a, an unhappy company so i think the best ceos to me are the ones who understand <coughs> the business understand where they need to course direct to and understand that they need to take the people with them and value them to get to where they want to go i mean that that to me is mm is what they should be doing. It's pretty pretty obvious in my mind. And the fact the fact that people don't sometimes do it, I find bewildering. No, I think good point. So I think going back to WPP and and, and Max, obviously Max, when you left um the the Sudler role as, as as CEO, things you know, the old tone and kind of culture um seemed to rapidly sort of disintegrate. And and then lo and behold, not long after that, the old business almost you know, uh, collapses really. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that in terms of, um, you know, the role of the CEO and, and and maybe what you did that was a bit different to to what other people might have done or, or did? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. It's a combination of a couple of things. I think there were um, many of the many of the reasons why um, people left at that time around that time were that the culture was changing, not just within the Southern network, particularly, but within within the broader group, and I think that uh, things were becoming, uh, you know, without going too much, very political and very much more along the lines of you know who you knew and managing upwards and um, making sure you you looked like you were doing the right thing rather than you were actually doing the right thing, and that I think that toxic culture. Um, the CEO has a role to protect the companies, and I think that where was that was there. I, you know, one of the things I learned in the Navy very early on was one of the most important things a leader does is protect the people that are junior to them. That's that's their role. So I think you know I did a lot of that, uh, and I think that once you once you remove that from the equation, and so you don't have a person that's trying to you know basically protect the people around them from from all the the fallout of all the the nonsense that's happening. I think very quickly the culture goes downhill, and I would say that that's that's probably the reason that it was more about suddenly all this stuff happened and people started to see the the, the places it was it really was, and I think that makes it very very difficult to, uh, to 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 keep good 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 staff members and keep the morale and keep the the, the spirit because I think you know Sadler and Hennessy uh, for most of the time was had a fantastic spirit, but it's incredibly uh, fragile. And it doesn't take much to break it. And I think that once that happens, it's very, very difficult to turn it around. And I guess no big surprise once you you break the culture, you break the people, um, and very soon after the business um, follows suit. So um, no surprises, I guess. No, sad, sad you're not. It's sad, it's sad for the people, but it's, it's the truth. But anyway, let's leave the leave leave the past where it belongs in the past and switch to to um, current day. And I guess not current day, but going back just a couple of years. So t- tell us about the 
a switch for you in, into founding, you know, with Raj and I as well, to Naked Earth, because it sounds like you had that entrepreneurial spirit before you took the Sudler job. And um, and I guess it's never too late, and you know, to, to, to pursue that. Yeah. And again, you know, I was, once I'd left WPP, I was looking at a, a number of different opportunities, to, to be frank, and, and, and started up a few different little startups. And, 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 you know, with all startups, it's really a question of, you know, not everything takes off. Um, I honestly wasn't thinking that much about going back into uh, into healthcare advertising. I was actually chasing another passion of mine, which was was health and and, and particular men's health, and and how you could how you could keep um, active longer. Um, but you know, when when I heard that you guys were sort of looking and were thinking about it, I thought, you know, that's actually probably a really good opportunity because you know i i knew you lee and i i i i valued your um the input and, and your creativity and, and 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 what you add there and i thought you know that could actually be really good the zeitgeist is right the, the big networks yes there's lots of holding company deals with big companies but the cracks are starting to show and you could see that there was a kind of sea change into uh, into more um agile independence and i thought you know this has probably got a, a really good chance of, of succeeding and succeeding in a way that gets away from all the politics which i didn't like and all the kind of uh, other stuff that, that that not such a good part of the job and work with people you like and and as importantly to work on the business properly the, the one of the things i didn't sort of cover in the, the ceo role is Unfortunately, you get promoted to to an area. So you're really managing people and companies and finances, not really managing clients. And I, I realize that what I really like doing is is solving problems for clients, working with them, and and building things. And this looked like a super opportunity to do that. Um, and you know, when when I talk to you and and, and Raj, I think we all sort of seem to have the same uh, rough ideas eventually. And uh, you know, I. I I think that there was it was a great it was a great thing, and I think we 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 started with nothing. I think we bootstrapped it. We didn't have any clients. We didn't have any. But I think that um, you know we we got lucky with a couple of with early clients, and often thanks to you, Lee, with your connections for for some of them. I think that that kind of uh, showed that that this was a great way to go, and um, that you know there is there is life after big holding companies that that is probably much more enjoyable, and probably I think we've actually developed more good work in the time that I've been at Naked than probably I saw being developed uh, in, in many, many of the uh, of the big companies I worked in. And it seems um, that we, we'll come on to the, the years that have passed since with those those days, but those days are you, Raj. And, and, you know, credit to Raj, who was the instigator in some ways, and I was probably going to jump back into another kind of ECD role in another big <laughs> network or whatever, but but was, no, no, don't do that. Let, let's, you know, let's set up something. And, um, you know, they, they were interesting days. Of the three of us, we often met in my 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 house, I think, and we we were like sketching out how this agency could 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 be structured and what we would do differently. And uh, what what do you remember about that, Raj? Well, it's very similar, very similar. I remember that conversation with you, um, and you were like, "Oh, mate, I'm gonna." You could, I think you people had reached out to you as well. People that you've had long good relationships with said oh we're starting something come and join us or come and have this role or whatever and uh i think you know i think you all options on the table then one and i think i sent you oh God, what did i say i said look if we don't do it now you're never going to do it and you're always going to be at the beck and call of somebody else and a number on a spreadsheet and i think um 
I think that was part of the decision to let's start sketching it out before we finished our tea or coffee or whatever we were drinking. Well, I think, uh, but I think the the good thing as well is we 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 each seem to inspire each other on a little bit, and also we we're, we're three very different people in some ways. Mm. But I think the collective um, uh, force of that is, is, is probably been a good thing as well. And um, but but Max, in terms of um, you know, it's been five years since since those uh, early days of sketching out our you know our naked uh, process and our idea process and so on. Five years of, of really flown by. But is there anything you would have done differently, Max, over those five years? No, I, I, I honestly don't. I don't think there there was. I mean, I, I think I echo what Ryan said. I think you know, the only thing I would have done differently is, is 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 do this sooner. To be to be frank, I I, I do I do regret. The years where I spent making millions for other people, where <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. we could have been doing for ourselves, like that that's the the only regret. No, every everything else, I think is you know we. I think at the beginning we um, we we spent a bit of time sort of thinking about did we need an investor, did we not need an investor. I'm I'm so glad we decided to go on our own. We we held our nerve, and um, and we we didn't do that not because the the people we were talking to weren't great, but because we just didn't need to do that. And I think that's kind of. The one thing I, I think with starting up these companies, it does take a bit of nerve because, you know, you, you, you've got no money coming in. It's all outgoings um, and you've got to have you've got to have faith in your business partners that they're all contributing. I think the one thing I will say that we, we, we I think we would all agree with. We all contribute different things, but we all contribute. And I don't think there's ever been a time where, and and it happens in relationships sometimes where people sit down and say, "Oh, I'm not sure he's doing that." Ooh. But that hasn't happened. I think you know we 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 joke with each other. We 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 play play pranks with each other, etc. But I think that's all really good spirit. So no, I I I can't say to be honest any any regrets at all. Uh, I, I think it, it's you know it's it's only getting better. No, I think the same. I think my only regret would be not to have done it earlier. Absolutely, but but to put you on the spot, then this you know, five years, as you said, we've done a lot of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of campaigns and launches and and stuff. We've been very fortunate and um, to be entrusted with. But what if you had to pick three highlights from those five years? What would they be? I think the first highlight sounds sounds a little weird. We um we got the opportunity to pitch for what we thought was logistics for a congress and i remember sitting down with, with all of us saying gee this doesn't sound and what i think is the, the the great thing is we didn't say no 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 let's not do that it's not our core skill or you know blah 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 we said well, no let's find out a little bit more about it and of course we discovered that it was a lot more than that that was something that we could really add value and and, and we 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 Put together a really, really nice symposium, which got really good feedback and 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 good audience. And I think we brought a lot of creativity. So that, to me, is was was again one of the big high highlights. And again, the other highlight has been, you know, working in, in a very strange uh, situation where we're working globally, but with lots of different global partners. But none of them are from the same company. None of them have got uh, anything more than a, an informal licensing agreement and, and no agreement to market. And yet we produced a fantastic global campaign, which was consistent, that everyone liked and did it without anyone having to sort of bend people's arms or, or say you've got to do this because you're part of the company. And I think that was a that's been a tremendous experience and a tremendous learning for me to see that it is possible to get global alignment 
even if the companies themselves are, are, are not financially connected. And that, that, that again, was, was, was a really big highlight. Cool. And what about the third one? Oh, third one. Gee, you, you're demanding today. Uh, third, I guess the third. The third one is a funny one. It's uh, and he's gonna, he's going to uh, not thank me for this because I'm going to make it. I'm going to embarrass him. But I think the third one was actually um, you know, the recent hires we've made. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking not just, Russ was Russ. I always think of as being there almost from day one, which which he yeah. almost was. But I think the decision to go out and um. And bring Paul on board. It has been a highlight. A because he's fantastic to work with, and B because he's added tremendous value. And I think that again, the only thing I would think about that is I wish we'd done it a little bit earlier. Um, but but it's great to have him board. So that you know, to me, you know, two two highlights in client, but also the highlight in in, in people. I think is is really important. Going back to um, what you know, the skill of CEOs, I think the skill of a CEO is to recognise great talents and make the most of that. So um, that, that's, that's why Max was a, was a great CEO, Lee. And um, that, that's my honest opinion, I think, to be honest. Recognising your talent. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think, I think, <laughs> recognising it and rewarding it and, and protecting it, I think. I, think, I, I would think have just all... taken a compliment as it was given to <laughs> No, but uh, I think we all agree on that. Um, so, okay, just to wrap up there, Max, in terms of, um, you know, we've, we've looked at the past and what you might have done differently with three highlights. What about the next five years? What, what's the vision for, for Naked Health and, you know, from you personally for the next five years? I, I think it's it's more of the same. I think I'd love to get some, some we have fantastic clients, love to get a few more big clients. I think that that's, that's important to keep us fresh and to give us new challenges. Like to find... Uh, hard to find, but like to find some more talented people to bring on board to 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 to, to build a business. I don't, I don't think we want to grow crazily fast, but I think we want to grow nice and steadily and 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 provide a great home for great talent and and, and great clients. Uh, and I guess finally, of course, to to do this without losing our I've seen this happen without losing our direction, so not get seduced by growth and money, so that we lose. The spirit we started out, which which is to create a great company with great um, uh, idea, without any of the nonsense of layers and politics, and do just great work, which we enjoy and have fun. I think if we can grow and continue to stay true to that, I think that um, I will be very very happy for the next five years on on a professional level. Okay, you, you. I think that's a, that's a great uh, summary to end. And uh, certainly your journey has certainly been a very interesting one. And um, we all look forward to being part of your journey for the next five years. So thanks very much for, for recounting your story. Thanks for everybody who's listening. And um, we look forward to, to, to our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.